0: All right, so let's read the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, if we could put them up there on the screen. There we go. We'll just uh, read it out loud together, okay? Just read it with me. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's interesting. I think I made this point uh, last week. Uh, You know, this is the last of the Beatitudes, and it talks about persecution. And the ones that were before that... You know, the Bible talks about being poor in spirit and mourning and being meek and hungering and thirsting after righteousness and being merciful and being a peacemaker, being pure of heart. It's kind of interesting that those are the people that are persecuted, the very people that have the inner qualities that represent Jesus, the inner qualities that you would think would be admired and uh, longed for and desired and respected, right? But those inner qualities reflect really the spirit of Christ. And, of course, we know that they hated Jesus. The world did. And so the Bible promises persecution, doesn't it? Let me just read to you a couple scriptures. If you are of the world, of the world meaning, meaning you're not saved, you're not a believer, uh, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you are walk according to the prince of power, the spirit of disobedience, the enemy, the devil, right? If you are of the world, the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also, now, this is john fifteen, so he 's talking to his disciples there that were going to be given the great commission to preach the gospel, but he said that they that they will persecute us because they persecuted him, so if you are of the world uh, you, that, that means you're you 're of the world 's kingdom, you share the world 's values, you share the world 's heart for things, you have the same spirit, the same attitude uh You embrace uh, the morals, the values of, of the world. And, of course, the world will admire you and applaud you, right? Another one is in Mark chapter 10. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there, didn't it? With persecutions, and then the age to come, eternal life. And so Jesus promises us great blessings. That if we would forsake all and follow Him, that He will more than make it up to us. Right? That's what that's what this is all all about. We'll receive a hundredfold in this in this time and in the age to come, eternal life, brothers and sisters and mothers. In other words, we give up a lot for Jesus, but He more than blesses us a hundredfold blessing. Right? And then He adds, with persecution. And of course, a great passage is. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, let me ask you this. Why does the world hate Christians? Why does the world hate Christians? I have I have nine down here, and I know there's more than nine reasons, but I have nine reasons as I was just thinking this thing through, nine good reasons why the world—when I say the world— not talking about the world of creation, the trees and the birds. I'm talking about the world system, uh, the people that are not saved, that walk according to the course of this world, according to the power of the year, the spirit that is working in them, the world that is anti God. All right? That mindset of the world. So the world filled with unbelieving people. Why does the world hate Christians? Let's see if we can get some. Some good answers here. Why do you think? Trina? Because the world loves sin, and they hate Christians because? Uh, we love with because we love righteousness, right? We, we, we have turned from sin, and uh, we forsake sin, and sin is exceedingly wicked to us. We don't want it anymore. That's good. Very good. Why else does the world hate Christians? Yes. So they're afraid. They don't know They don't know Jesus on the inside. There's fears there. It, there's fear there that motivates them. Very good, Doug. Um, because we have the light of Jesus in us, and they love darkness. More. Oh, so we have light within us—the light of the Word or the light of the Spirit, right? And they—they uh, they love darkness, which darkness would be sin, right? Sin. Yes. Because they feel convicted. They feel convicted. They feel convicted, so they hate us because they feel convicted? Yeah. What'd you say? It's a, it's a spiritual battle. They hate us because, because we, belong we belong to Jesus. Yes, and uh, if it's a spiritual battle, and, and uh, they might hate us because really uh, the spirit, the evil spirit, provokes them to hate us, Right? Right? Very good. Yes? Because we, have God's favor on our lives. because we have favor of God on our lives, and they hate that. The blessing of the Lord, right? Very good. Very good. Yes? Because they're spiritually dead. They are spiritually dead, so they hate us because we have, life. we have life, and they don't. Let me read to you what I have. There's, there's a lot of the same things. Uh, the world hates Christians because we are little Christs. In other words, we represent the Lord to them because we're a savor of death, the Bible says. Not a savor of life, but a savor of death. Well, a savor of smell. We, have, we smell. <laughs> In other words, they, they get around us. Somebody mentioned uh, conviction, they feel conviction. They get around us, and uh, we talk about the Lord. Uh, we live a different lifestyle. We have different values. We're on our way to heaven, and they get get convicted. They feel judged or condemned. Does that make sense? They feel judged or condemned when they're around us. It's not like you might be judging them. Now Christians can be bad and be have a judgmental spirit. We don't want that. We're persecuted for righteousness sake not for a judgmental spirit all right Uh, but uh, I remember when I gave my heart to Christ and my parents certainly did not understand this new way of living and this new life in Christ and all that and I was just trying to live out my faith of course I was radically wonderfully overnight born again transformed darkness to light wonderful salvation experience And uh, so I was dramatic. Boom. Everything changed. And they're just trying to figure out their son. Is he in a cult? What's going on here? But uh, after a a number of months passed, uh, my mom was in the kitchen and I came in there. And she was very very upset. Obviously, she had been thinking on these things and getting more and more upset. And she just confronted me. And she says, I just feel like you are judging Everything I do, and everything I do is wrong in your eyes. Now, I'm just trying to live for the Lord and survive in that in the atmosphere that I was in, which was, you know, just antagonistic. It was very challenging, and I wasn't saying, this is wrong, this is wrong. I don't feel like I was giving them the evil eye or anything, but she got that off of me she she felt that way around me and perhaps it's because i was a saver of death in that sense she she smelled you know the scent i gave off was a scent of of love for god and rather than rejoicing in that uh she felt condemned or convicted or under judgment so so i have that uh I think the world hates us because we love righteousness and godliness, because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because we're salt and light in the world, because we're on a mission to convert them, all right? And what's our message? If you don't get saved, you're going to, I mean, well, that's not a great message. (laughs) I mean, it is, but you can see why they would. We have this mission to convert them. We we preach a gospel that speaks judgment to come and accountability. Right, everyone shall give account. Uh, years ago, I was asked to do a funeral, and the family had come to our church just briefly. Just briefly. When I say briefly, maybe for a year. Very dark family. Lots of issues in the family. And uh their daughter ended up uh, going into prostitution, and uh, she was found dead uh, of a drug overdose in Pontiac. Well, her mom and dad had briefly attended Cornerstone you know they are very challenged, dark family themselves, and they they called me and asked me to do the funeral for. This young lady, she was probably 22 at the time, and I'd remembered her a number of years earlier just being a young teenager, and it was sad, sad. You know, into prostitution and and drugs and uh, just overdosed there. And uh, I don't know if it was... Uh, a brothel there in Pontiac. I don't even know if you call them brothels anymore. Anyway, so uh, I, I show up at the funeral home. It was time of visitation, and uh, I was going to meet with them. We are going to plan out the funeral that was going to be the next day, and uh, I was sitting there with, my, with, them, with the mother and father, and the mother just I said, can I ask you something? And I said, yes, you can. And I said, will she have to give account before God for her life? And, of course, the answer is yes. And I didn't want to say, well, absolutely, and according to the way she lived, you know, I didn't want to <laughs> add that upon them. It's such a terrible time. But with as much skill as I could muster, I mean, as God is my witness, I said, yes, we all will give account. We all will give account Uh, for our lives based upon how we live our lives and whether or not we know Jesus. And, uh, you know, she didn't really say much. But I got home from the visitation. Uh, She called me late that night and and fired me. She said, I do not want a preacher doing this funeral that's going to say that she had to give an account before God. I said, well, okay. You know, it actually uh, hurt me on the inside. It hurt me. It took me a couple of days to get past that, uh, but anyway, that, that's the—that's sometimes the anger, right? Because we preach a gospel that speaks judgment to come. We also, the world hates us. I have this down because we believe in the exclusive claims of Jesus. In other words, John fourteen six. Let's say it together: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's an exclusive claim. Now, our, our our culture here in America, we love many paths to God. We just love that gospel, that good news, that way to heaven. There's many paths to God. There's many ways to get there. We love the good works gospel in America, don't we? If you're good, you'll go. And we, we love basically... Your truth, your belief is as valid as my truth, my belief. We just love that. And, uh, but Christianity, true Christianity, believes in the exclusive claims of Christ, that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God, that there is salvation in no other name, for no other name has been given but the name of Jesus, right? That's the exclusive claims. And so we would say to the Jew you need to be saved. To the, to the Mormon, you need to be saved. To the Muslim, you need to be saved. To the atheist, you need to be saved. To the humanist, you need to be saved. I mean, that's our message. You need to be saved. Well, no wonder. I mean, that's exclusive, right? Very exclusive. And if they don't know Jesus, they can get really ticked off. Ticked off at that. And I like this one, they, we believe, Christians believe in salvation by grace, not works. You would think that they would love that message, but they don't like that message. They don't like that message. You would think that they would, but to Paul dealt with that whole issue. If you read the book of Galatians, uh, the Judaizers had come, and uh, they had added circumcision and the keeping of the law as a means to be right before God. And the apostle Paul said that they, that they persecuted those that stood fast on the cause of Christ and the cross of Jesus. He says, I'm going to glory in the cross. I mean, they, he called those of the circumcision, the Judaizers, they might as well just mutilate their flesh, you know, because they're trusting in works. And the reason why they trust in works is because they glorify in their works. It, it appeals to them. You know, there, there are some people out there They love sin. They love to sin. They love to party. They love pleasure. That's their God. They make no bones about that. There are others that love religion and good works and good flesh and living strict, disciplined, ascetic lives as a means to please God and to be right with God. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. Discipline is not holiness. And an ascetic life or a disciplined life or a legalistic, commandment-keeping or commandment-based relationship with God is as wrong as the other way of living as a means to get to heaven. We get to heaven through Christ alone, by faith alone. That's it. That's it. And so... uh The early church was persecuted, the Apostle Paul especially, because he preached salvation by grace through faith alone, right? And uh, the legalists, we call them Judaizers, they're Judaizers because they were Jews that became believers, let's say believers, but still maintained that you had to still keep the law as a system of righteousness, In other words, you add Christ to the keeping of the law to go to heaven. And that's not how we go to heaven. That's not how we go to heaven. It's not through the law. Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law. Body and blood of the Lord. The enemy said that they were engaging in cannibalism. They called uh, their dinners, we call them potlucks. They called their dinners, the times of fellowship, that they would end with a communion service. They called those in the early church love feasts. And they were uh, spoken about from outside the church as orgies. A love feast. Orgies, you know, because orgies were common practice back then. Because families were split apart when... One member believes, and the other spouse does not believe. Many times the unbeliever would depart. So Christians were accused not only of cannibalism and sexual immorality with love feasts or orgies, but the splitting of families. Treason, because they refused to worship the Roman gods. We heard that song. That's a true story. Caesar Nero beheaded Paul. He also was... Accused of, by church historians, of wrapping believers in animal skins to be attacked by dogs. Also thrown in the lion's den, believers were. And also he used them as human torches to light his gardens. Every apostle of the 12, then you take Judas out, that's the 11, then they added Matthias, that made the 12, all 12 were persecuted Every one of them, according to church history, was martyred, except for John the Apostle. Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul was beheaded. Andrew, so it was Peter and Andrew, they were brothers, was crucified. Thomas, doubting Thomas, pierced through with swords. James was stoned to death. Simon the Zealot was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias was burned to death, and John the apostle, they say, was boiled in oil, but didn't boil, so they banished him to the island of Patmos. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus said, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. It's that cup of suffering. Remember he said that to the disciples that wanted wanted the 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 place to sit on the right and left hand side of Jesus in his kingdom. And Jesus says, Are you are you able to drink of the cup? Absolutely. And of course Jesus is talking about the cup of, of suffering, you know, the picking up your cross, the dying to self, the world hating you, the persecution. I mean, that comes with Every good thing about salvation, you know, forgiveness of sins and God's mercy and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God, all that come is part of our salvation, but so also is the opposition from the world to those of us of faith. You guys agree with that? It's part of drinking the cup or picking up our cross and following Jesus. So in this passage of Scripture, this beatitude. What does it mean to be persecuted? Well, in that passage of Scripture, it talks about reviling you. That means reproaching you. Persecuting you, which means to drive you away, to speak evil falsely. That's lies and accusations. And then in Luke 6.22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake or for Jesus' sake, So because you know Jesus, or because you're living for Jesus, or because you're living a righteous life that God has called you to live, the Bible says that they will hate you, exclude you. I don't know if you've ever been excluded from your family. Because of your faith. Not because you're being a jerk, but because of your faith, right? (laughs) Jesus said that'll happen. Maybe there's some of you here that that's happened to you. Well... How are we persecuted in America? Well, it's gotten worse. You know, I got saved in 76 and graduated from high school uh, during the Civil War. I'm getting a little old. But anyhow, I got saved in 76. And uh, uh, when I got saved, I, I felt like the culture was respectful to Christianity. Very respectful. And then through the years, the culture became neutral to Christianity. Just neutral. Wasn't great. That's for sure. Uh, But now I feel like we're living in a culture in many, many ways that's hostile to Christianity. So it's gone from very respectful to neutral to now hostile. Hostile. So persecution here in America, I think it comes from friends, from family, from religion, from culture, and from government. And when I get down to culture and government, I want you to uh, come up with ways that the culture persecutes Christians, the culture that's presently America persecutes Christians. And think about how government, the United States government or the state government persecutes Christians. But first, friends, listen to what it says in First Peter 4. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. You've had enough. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Now, I don't know if that that is your testimony, I have that testimony because I was saved as a teenager my last year in high school. And the friends I had before I met Jesus, we, we did the parties, we did the concerts, we did the drugs, we, we, did, we did all that stuff and uh, we, uh, we wanted to do that, we encouraged each other in doing that, we had fun in doing that, and then all of a sudden I get saved, I get saved and two things happen. I didn't want to run with them anymore and they didn't want to run with me anymore. Immediately happened. Just like that. Anybody else have that testimony that that happened to you? Just raise your hand if that happened to you. Yes, it does happen. And it's right there in the Bible. It says that that very thing can happen. And how about family? Listen to what it says in Matthew 10. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Say what? Anybody have that happen? You got saved. And now the enemies, you hate to call them enemies, but there's just misunderstandings. There's opposition. There's, somebody said something. They don't understand. Is that what you said? They don't understand. They don't. Uh, You know, I faced that with my parents, also with with my sisters. I had four sisters all older than me. None of them understood. My friends didn't understand. You know, just... You just felt that, right? You felt that. How many felt that persecution, as it were, from members of your own household? Raise your hand when you got saved. Yes, absolutely. Religious persecution. I think this. Churches that hold fast to biblical truth on sex, sexuality, and marriage will be ostracized and somehow diminished or spoken against by those churches that have that surrender to culture and compromise their fidelity to the word of the lord or for the truth of scripture those churches will persecute or slander or speak against or misrepresent or accuse churches that are holding fast of being haters narrow minded bigoted judgmental what do you guys think i think that's i think that is happening but i think it's going to pick up some steam do you guys think so so what you know, I, I'm a firm believer. You know, I'm a Bible man, a word man. We got to hold fast the word and the, the truth of God's word. And uh, culture might be saying this and preaching that and believing this. And the values of culture are constantly changing. But the word of the Lord stands forever, right? And so that's, uh, that's where we need to stand. And so let's say in 1985, I started pastoring Cornerstone. And here I stood. And the culture was, was respectful. And here I stood, and the culture of America was, was respectful to religion and to Bible-believing Christians. And so here I stood. Well, a number of years went by, and uh, on and on it went. And in the 2000s, here I stood. And now culture is over here, and it's more neutral And I felt more of a distance, less of respect, uh, you know, between where I was standing, where culture was. You saw it in politics. You saw it in in government. You saw it in in school or education. You saw it in Hollywood, you know, in these various areas, right? The cultural uh, mountains there. And then, you know, I'm still standing here. And now it's 2023, and I'm still standing here. When I say standing here, standing on the word, believing what the word says, not changing because culture has shifted, just standing right here. And, and the culture has, has gone neutral, and now it's moved to antagonistic. It's way over here. And I feel like I've not moved from where I was. But boy, is there a great distance now. Like darkness. Yeah. Darkness. And then churches. You know, I, I would say, you know, what, what is Cornerstone? Well, you know, we would be considered an evangelical church, a charismatic church, a Bible-believing church. Right? That's what we'd, how I would frame us. Well... People or churches that used to, like, be here with me, many of them, because of cultural winds, in order to be relevant, perhaps, or in order to be accommodating, have just moved this way. Some of these churches or men of God, I have felt real distance from. But I feel like I'm still here. I feel like I'm still here. I feel like they've shifted. They've become more accommodating and more compromising. Stay there, over here. Bob, you want me over here? Well, I I plan on staying here, and I want you to stay here. Right? We We all need to stay here. We all need to stay here. And the, and the more culture goes that way, the more distance you feel. But uh, the thing is not to move towards them, so that they don't think so bad about you. I mean, I think that is disaster. I think uh, stay here and and uh, stand on the truth and share with them the love of God and the good news of the gospel. Because the darker it gets, the the brighter the gospel is going to shine, and there will be people that will be wonderfully drawn to it. Because, man, the darkness can be great. And when there's great darkness, there's great sorrow and great pain and great sin and consequences of sin. And people, are, people will say, man, this isn't working. Who can deliver me from this perverse world? And then there will there's, be the people of God that are holding forth the light of God's Word. We could be like a city set on a hill, shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, over here, here we are. We have not moved. Because I believe that the Word of God is relevant to every single culture. If Jesus told them to preach the gospel in the first century, that was pagan Rome... Influenced by the uh by Grecian uh values because Rome conquered Greece and those Grecian values was very immoral, Rome was very pagan. And in the midst of all that paganism and immorality and idolatry and sexual uncleanness, and oh, it's just horrible, it's worse than what we're facing, they told. God Jesus told them to preach the gospel. well, if that culture needed the gospel preached, and it was relevant for that wicked culture. It certainly is relevant for the culture we're in. We're not, we 're in're we haven 't gotten more sophisticated in America that where we 've moved past the teachings of the Word and the commands of scripture and and the message of the cross. Americans, as civilized and as educated as we think we are, we need Jesus as much as any culture ever has. He's still the answer. Amen? Jesus is still the answer. All right. I told you to think about cultural ways. Acts 2.40, be saved from this perverse generation. All right? We need to be saved from this perverse generation. Our generation, our culture is perverse or wicked or twisted. They call light darkness, right? They call bittersweet. Everything's upside down, it seems like, in America. Culture, think about culture. How is culture rejecting or persecuting believers? Culture in America, Anybody have any examples? Excuse me? They're by compromising the truth, compromising the truth. that's true, Trina. Uh, they want to rid the image of God. The, uh, we we're created an image of God, so they don't speak about God, like you said in movies. They don't reference God. They they just remove want to remove God from the public square. Selfies, individualism. Eliminate the, image of God, I uh, eliminate the image of God, you said? Okay, very good. Culture. Yes, way back there. The gender, issue. the gender issues? And how is the gender issue persecuting us? It's fluid. It's fluid. Okay, so so culture, so culture being uh, government, it could be uh, education, it could be media, uh, uh, you know, uh, it could be Hollywood entertainment, you know, all that kind of represents culture. So our culture in America now says that gender is fluid, and if you're a Christian, you think it's binary, just male and female. That's binary. If you think it's binary, how do they how do they treat you? Excuse me. Cancel. They they want to cancel you, or, or or you're not compassionate to those that are on the spectrum. The spectrum, because there's like. I don't know, 69 genders now, something like that. It's always changing. There's a whole spectrum of it. And if you don't embrace that, then you're, you're hateful, right? There's something wrong with us because we don't believe that. That's how I feel. I feel like the world says there's something wrong with me. I'm the problem that I don't believe that, or embrace that, but I believe that in the beginning God made them male and female. That's what I believe. That's, why do I believe that? Because that's what the Scripture believes, or that's what the Scripture teaches. And so here I stand. Here I stand, right? Let God be true and every man a liar. And so I, I feel like culture uh, rejects or slanders the believer that believes in male and female, that's what you're saying, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Reverse discrimination. Reverse discrimination. Can you explain that? Well, they're us because we don't accept all their yeah, well, they're discriminating against us. I just read an article, I think it's in Oregon, that uh, the state adoption agencies now are not allowing Christians to adopt because they don't believe in the trans, the LGBTQ agenda so that they will be unfit as parents because what if they adopt a child that believes he is a she? Well, the, that parent needs to give them gender-affirming care, but if it's a Christian, they're not going to give them gender-affirming care. They're going to teach that child, you know, if you're a he, then you need to learn to love the way God made you. Except the way God made you, right? And so they're denying it. They're discriminating against, right? All right, I got, I got some here. Uh, Jack Phillips, the baker. You ever hear about this guy out in Colorado? He has been harassed for over a decade, bombarded with requests to make the most profane cakes and dragged in and out of court simply for trying to run his business as a Christian. He's prevailed in the Supreme Court, but he's still, he's still getting sued. And so he's a baker, and I, I've, I've read a lot of articles on this. As I, I don't want to misrepresent, but as I understand it, he has a bakery out there in Colorado. And so people from all walks of life come in there to buy his baked goods, cakes and donuts and things like this. And he serves everybody. He serves everybody. But what he won't do is, from what I understand, is a same-sex couple comes in, and they want him to make a cake celebrating the same-sex union, to make a wedding cake for the same-sex marriage. And he won't do it. He will serve them for what he has there, but he won't make them a special wedding cake celebrating they're a same-sex union because he's a Christian and believes that this is wrong or sinful. Okay, well, that goes back to the civil rights. So you own a diner, and back in the 50s or 60s, you own a diner, and in walks a, a black couple. And the diner, they won't serve the black couple because they're black. And so homosexuality that whole agenda now equates to the civil rights movement so that's the argument so if, if it was wrong to not serve the black couple it's wrong not to serve the gay couple you got that that's the that's the thinking so but the the baker there in colorado will serve the gay couple, if he wants to buy what he's already made, the donuts or the cakes or whatever, but he won't make a cake for them celebrating their same-sex wedding. The difference is this. Christianity looks at marriage as a sacrament. When you go to a wedding, do you Promise before God and these witnesses to love, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. You'll keep faithfully to her so long as you both shall live. I do. When you go to a wedding, you are witnesses to that wedding. You actually are participating in that wedding when you go to a wedding. You're participating in, you're witnessing, and as they say, their vows before the Lord, right? So the Christian Baker believes that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that if he was to make a cake celebrating this union, he now is participating in this wedding that he considers as a sacrament before God that he cannot participate in. It will violate his conscience before the Lord. You got that? And I totally support that Christian Baker. Now, do I think that that Christian baker, if he has his business and people come in, that he should serve the people that come in? I do believe that. I do believe that. But to have them go one step farther and participate in the sacrament of marriage, that, that to me is taking it another step. And if I was that baker, I wouldn't do it. I well, I won't marry them. So what's the difference? I'm, I'm not marrying them. He's not baking a cake for him, and I'm not marrying them. Nope. It'd be wrong for me to do that, right? That's right. Wrong for me to do as a minister to participate in that wedding ceremony. And It's wrong for him to participate in the wedding, the sacrament of marriage, by making a cake to celebrate it. See, he's, he's entering into that. You guys tracking that, why he won't do it? And the Supreme Court ruled on his behalf. They ruled on his behalf that it would be violating his freedom of religion to participate in this marriage that he considers sinful or wicked. There's another one. Coach Joe Kennedy was fired for exercising his First Amendment right to pray to God in public. It took him almost seven years to fight to undo this unjust persecution, prevailing only when the Supreme Court ruled that a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a brief, quiet, personal religious observance doubly protected by the free exercise and free speech clause of the First Amendment. The Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. I don't know if you guys are aware of him. He's a football coach, I think, down in Kentucky. And after the game, whoever wanted to would gather at at midfield, and they'd have a time of prayer. And none of the kids were forced or made to or anything. Well, he got fired. Got fired for doing that. And it went to the Supreme Court. And thankfully, they ruled on his behalf. Hmm. So that's culture. And then government. This is a big one for me. Well, I'm running out of time here. During COVID, churches were forced to to close, even though casinos and strip clubs were allowed to stay open. Boy, that got me. Here in Michigan, as I remember, we were supposed to close, and the liquor stores and the abortion clinics all stayed open. They were essential. The liquor stores, but not the churches. You know? Yes. That was a bummer. Uh, So tracking back to that is a very challenging time, of course. Going back to the beginning of March, because I got some heat uh, because we did shut down for a few months uh, by people at Cornerstone. I got some heat for that. Uh, But tracking back, March, COVID hit. And of course, uh, they were believing that over the next three, four, five months, over a million people would die from COVID just here in America. And so uh, a number of us ministers got together uh, and we're ta- talking, what should we do? And uh, the advice and counsel I got was uh, you need to keep trust with your community. You don't want to be a place where this place is spread. It's it's just this disease. It's just going to wipe everybody out. You need to shut down and not be a place that becomes a super spreader because they were expecting millions to die. I said, okay, we will do that. And so March, April, I think May, we started having some parking lot meetings. Then we opened up in June. So over those two to three months, You know, you got your arms around it some, and then I saw how this was going, and it wasn't nearly the pandemic level that they thought it would be. And then things were allowed to be open, and other things weren't allowed to be open. And finally, I got to the place where I I said, you know what? Church is, if a liquor store is essential, then a church is essential. So we're opening up, and we opened up before we were supposed to open up. to Governor Whitmer. And uh, so we planned, we had some parking lot meetings there in May, and then we planned to open up our first Sunday was going to be in June. And uh, somehow the sheriff of Oakland County found out that we were opening up. Uh, Sheriff Broussard, I think that's his name, of Oakland County. And I get a call from Sheriff Broussard. I didn't call him, he called me. He said, I... Hear that you're going to be having services coming up this Sunday. Is that true? Well, I can't lie. I said, Yeah, I thought if I tell him we are, that he's going to be shutting us down. I said, Yes, we are. We're planning on doing that. And he says, That's good because I believe in freedom of religion. I said, Well, praise the Lord. So I thought that was great. And so uh, he wasn't going to arrest me or the congregation, or bar the doors shut. Uh, but he did say, if somebody complains, I have to send a deputy out to, to uh, investigate that complaint. But my deputies know that unless something, so something terrible is going on where there's no precautions being taken at all, I want you to know that that deputy will show up and just take a look around, but he's not going to be shutting you down. And sure enough, somebody complained. And I think I know who it was. I do. I think I know who it was, but I'm not sure, so I can't say. But, uh, and they sent the deputy out, and he looked around, and uh, you know he saw how we were doing things, and, and we were taking some precautions, you know. And so he didn't shut us down or anything, and we were able to uh, make our way through, but began to open up, began to open up. But that was government shutting us down, but at the same time, leaving liquor stores open. Liquor stores open. Boy, that really ticked me off. And then I decided, you know, who, who decides whether or not it's essential or not essential? You know, Walmart and Home Depot can be open, but not the, the, the neighborhood hardware store. They're not essential. But the Home Depot is because you got to get your tools, you got to get your supplies. But you can't go to the small business; they're shut down. Winners and losers. It made no sense to me, and still, I'm I'm starting to get ticked off just thinking about it. Anyway, I, I'm not sure if everything that was done was done with an anti-christian sentiment by people that are in authority. I don't think everything that was done was done with that as a motivation, but I think as it played out, I think some of it was. I do, I think that some of it was. I'm talking about government persecution. The IRS has been caught targeting Christian nonprofits. And how about this one? This was under the Obama Obama administration back when they made uh, uh, health care through the federal government, right? Uh, The Obama administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, relentlessly prosecuted the Christian charity called the Little Sisters of the Poor over their religious beliefs against paying to provide for abortion contraceptives. It took almost a decade for the Little Sisters to finally prevail at the Supreme Court. So Little Sisters of the Poor, it's a Catholic uh, order, and uh, they're forced to give, to offer, uh, you know, health care, and the Obama Obama administration wanted to make sure the health care that you offered included these uh, abortion pills, right? Well, the Little Sisters of the Poor being Catholic, they didn't want to offer this. It violated And they wanted a a waiver. We'll offer health care, but not with this included. And uh, they wouldn't relent. They wouldn't give them a religious exemption at all. I think that was terrible. And so the Bible talks about this persecution that comes. And I feel like it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Uh, you know, parents, uh, you know, their children are in public schools, and then they have to, you know, do we want to keep our kids in public schools because their values are attacked? Uh, right now, it's, it's a movement within public schools to, to somehow, it's come to the belief that parents don't have much say in what's being taught. I mean, that's becoming a prevailing opinion. Not every teacher holds that. Not every school system holds that belief. But a lot of them are coming to that conclusion. It's none of your business as parents. It is your business because those children are your God-given responsibility. Right? I told my wife, should I end this? or Can I give one more story? Okay, one more story. I told my wife years ago, back when Hillary Clinton was running for president. Remember her? okay, when she was running for president, okay, she said that, uh, oh, how does she put it? Raising children, It it takes a village to raise a child. Remember that statement? It takes a village to raise a child. I told my wife way back when she said that, that is a sneaky way, and I know what We automatically think, of course, uh, you know, it's an African proverb. The whole village looks out for the kids and things like that. If you see the kid in trouble, if it's not your kid, you still go there and help, you know. I understand that. That's, That's pretty good. But what she meant, what she meant, it takes a village to raise a child. What she meant, it takes government to raise a child. I told my wife way back then, that's what she meant. That's where we're at now. That there are those that believe in our culture that government knows better than parents on how to raise your children. But that's not what the Word of God says. So, for all the parents here with children, stand right here. Those children are a gift from God. God's given us the primary responsibility of raising them. It's not the government's responsibility to raise them. It's my responsibility to raise them. If they think they can raise them better than me, that's a lie. God gave parents the responsibility. He will equip you and help you and anoint you to raise those children, to instill values, to instill biblical values into them. You have the authority of God behind you to teach your children moral values biblical values. The government or the school system might say, you're wrong to do that. You are right before God to do that, so you just take your authority right here. Amen. Blessed are those that are persecuted. You're, you're blessed because the spirit of God and glory rests on you. We're done. God bless you.